This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This week on Wealth Track, changing the world for the better. Fidelity Charitable's Pamela Norley and the Caring Economy's Toby Usnick say we are in a new civic age. Their proof is next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Are we in a new age of civic engagement? No matter where you look, there is change afoot. And it is particularly evident in the private sector among individuals, investors, and visionary business leaders. In his 2018 annual letter to CEOs titled A Sense of Purpose, Larry Fink, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, wrote, Society is demanding that companies, both public and private, serve a social purpose. To prosper over time, every company must not only deliver financial performance, but also show how it makes a positive contribution to society. In his 2019 letter to CEOs titled Purpose and Profit, Fink doubled down on the message, emphasizing that purpose and profit are inextricably linked and that, quote, profits are essential if a company is to serve all of its stakeholders over time, not only shareholders, but also employees, customers, and communities. Similarly, when a company truly understands and expresses its purpose, it functions with a focus and strategic discipline that drive long-term profitability, end of quote. Purpose matters, particularly to younger generations. In a recent survey of millennials by Deloitte, almost 87% of them said the success of business should be measured in terms of more than just its financial performance. And when asked what the primary purpose of businesses should be, 63% more of them said improving society than said generating profit. Younger generations are putting their money where their beliefs are. In its report, Impact Investing at a Tipping Point, independent public charity Fidelity Charitable, found in its survey of affluent philanthropic individuals, 77% of millennials and 72% of Gen Xers have made some sort of impact investments. That means in companies deemed socially responsible. As we covered in a recent wealth track, more than $12 trillion, that's a quarter of all the professionally managed assets in the U.S., are now in socially responsible or sustainable investments. And it is a global trend. So in this era of high angst, we have found reasons to be optimistic. We have two guests representing the better side of human nature. Both are deeply involved in giving, transforming, and making life better for the rest of us. Pamela Norley is president of Fidelity Charitable, the oldest donor-advised fund in the country and one of the largest grant makers as well. In 2018, Fidelity Charitable's more than 200,000 donors recommended nearly 1.3 million grants, totaling $5.2 billion through their giving accounts. The $5.2 billion was donated to more than 144,000 charitable organizations, large and small, in every state in the country and across the world. 
Toby Usnick is the founder and head of Philanthropic Impact Partners, a global advisory firm he founded in 2016 to advise individuals and corporations on how to optimize their philanthropic missions. He's also the author of a recently published book, The Caring Economy, How to Win with Corporate Social Responsibility. It is a guide for senior executives and aspiring ones on how to successfully integrate socially responsible practices into a company's operations at any stage of development. Prior to establishing his advisory firm, Usnick was the Chief Corporate Social Responsibility Officer at Christie's, where he created the CSR program at the world's leading art auction house. Both Norley and Usnick are incredibly optimistic about the future. As Norley told me, there has never been a better time for us to change the world for the better. I asked them to explain their optimism. Just because just the amount of change that we've seen in terms of the philanthropy landscape. So there's really three things that are driving that change. One is the mindsets. Just people are not waiting to, you know, for their neighbors or their government or even their employers to drive the change that they want to see in their communities. They're getting actively engaged to start. And it really goes back almost a decade with the uh, Warren Buffett and the Bill and Melinda Gates giving pledge. Right. where they have signed up now 187 people from 22 countries um, who are willing to give away half of their wealth to philanthropy or to nonprofits, either during their lifetime or through their will. And that inspired a lot of people to say, why am I going to wait to give all my money away and give it away to my children? Um, I should be thinking about how to drive change in the world today. So the charitable mindset really has shifted from legacy uh, and inheritances to I'm going to give a lot of what I've made away today during my lifetime. Yeah, and there's two forces really driving that, right? One is millennials, 75 million strong in this country. They grew up giving back. Right. You know, they now are doing community service and celebration of MLK Day and remembrance of 9-11. Um, they did community service in junior high, through high school, in college. They're coming out and trying to work for organizations that stand for something. They really want to be involved and engaged. And they're bringing their communities and collaborating to do that using social media and obviously all the other technologies and tools that are available to bring people together. You talk about the three M's, so mindset uh, and new models and measurements. Talk to us about the, the new models of philanthropy. So the new models are building, I think, on a lot of what uh, we've seen over the last decade, and I know you've talked about this, is impact investing. Right. Is, and impact investing means so many different things. But at the end of the day, it's people that want to do well by doing good. And they're not willing to have a set of investments that do not align with their values and principles. And so they're contributing and investing in organizations in ways that can drive, you know, change in, in their communities. So that's really the first thing. The second is you're starting to see a lot, a lot of wealthy people come together and pull their money. I talked about the giving pledge, but also create these philanthropic investment firms. Mm -hmm. So not just the nonprofit that they want to give their dollars through for their foundation or donor advised fund, but rather working with kind of a semi-public, um, private, legal structure to drive change through not only giving to nonprofits, but also through advocacy. And then the third thing, as you know, is donor advised funds, mm -hmm. is that they're the fast growing, fastest growing vehicle in philanthropy. Um, we've, they're growing at four times faster than foundations. Wow. Toby, I know mm -hmm. that you are as enthusiastic as Pamela is mm -hmm. uh, about what you're seeing as far as, but from another angle, from mm -hmm. the angle of corporate social responsibility. Mm -hmm. So t talk to us about what's happening with the sense of giving 
and purpose that's occurring in the corporate realm versus the individual donor realm. Sure. I, I couldn't agree more with Pam. I think that we're witnessing actually a revolution here where yeah. it's millennial driven, although as a 56-year-old man, I would say that there are people my generation as well who are happy to get involved with this sort of activist, if you will, change because they've been disappointed either by an employer or the state of world affairs. So they're taking matters into their own hands and their own checking accounts and mm -hmm. funds, and they're putting it to work in ways that are consistent with their values. And um, so I see it as a very exciting time because while we have these tremendous challenges facing the planet, there are upsides to these challenges. And the really smart business leaders get that. And uh, I, for example, I'd love to hear from Pam's background with um, recruitment and retention of talent. Mm -hmm. This is top of mind now. If you talk to any with executive, millennials, especially with right? any company yeah. that's trying to recruit and uh -huh. retain talent, they want to know more and more. They want to know what's the purpose of the company, and it's got to be more than just transactionally driven. They don't ask as much now about their life insurance benefits mm -hmm. as they do. What does the company stand for? So I think what we're seeing is the individual taking control of his or her own brand and choosing which brand he or she wants to associate it with in terms of investments, in terms of employment, and in terms of consuming as a consumer. So it's quite empowering. I think Larry Fink at BlackRock called it purpose and profit. Mm -hmm. They have to have a purpose. And, and there's an expression that you've used uh, in the caring economy, which is there's a triple bottom line mm -hmm. now. And it's, it's the th we have the three M's yeah. from Pam, the three P's from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. it's, um, it's, it's people, profits, and planet. And planet. So yeah. take us through this triple bottom sure. line that you're advising CEOs that they really have to pay attention to. Sure. Um, I would just say at the most basic level, the reason I called the book The Caring Economy yes. is it's the caring that matters. And so the language, the measurements, all these things can confuse and sometimes put people off. But the main impulse to care, be more empathetic as a business leader, is the critical message here and as a citizen as well. So um, it's fairly, I think, straightforward. You have employers who want to put more of an emphasis on their people. What are you doing to invest in them, to let them know that you care about them? Um, are you recruiting and training the best talent, and how are you doing so? Um, the profit. You obviously have a responsibility to your shareholders right. to make sure that we're ma uh, maximizing profits. And to your employees if they're profit-sharing plans. And, Correct. Right. And then planet. So are we doing less damage or more damage to the planet and providing the services or the products that we make? And the most exciting aspect of all of, all of this is that the consumers today, the employees today, the investors, are more connected than ever in history. They know what's what, they're seeing the challenges facing the planet, and they're taking that sort of activist approach. Same thing with the philanthropic dollars. Mm -hmm. Rather than just have your money accrue more interest or make you more money, a lot of young millennials across the globe, I spend a lot of time in China, they want impact. They want measurable impact. They want to roll up their sleeves and get involved. So it's, it's quite different. I think we're in a more of a secular change here than cyclical, and that's empowering. I think. So this is, a, a Pam, and, and you said it's being described as we're in a new civic, civic age. age. So, yes. so describe what that means. It's just issue-oriented. It's action-oriented. Right. It's mm -hmm. about, you know, making sure that, again, you're bringing your full self and you're creating your own brand for how you try to drive change in the world that you want to see and everybody being able to enjoy all the wonderfulness of this. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, so it's mindsets, models, and measures. 
And I think the, we have this unique opportunity with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So, for right, first, so, so, so there, there are 17 sustainable mm -hmm. development goals. I mean, one of them is eliminate hunger. Another one is eliminate poverty. Another one is to make sure everyone has access to clean water and, and sanitary conditions. Right, there it is in the, in the Caring Economy book. <laughs> Um, but, you know, how many countries? 190 have countries. Yeah. Have yeah. signed on to this. Including the United States, which is mm -hmm. what that was the really big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and these are goals that, that are, they want to achieve them by when, 2030? 2030. I mean, it's, these are ambitious goals. Mm -hmm. So explain why that's so important. Well, I mean, it's, you've got corporations, individuals, country leaders coming together around these 17 goals to try to drive impact by 2030. And... A lot of corporations, as you probably know, are aligning with specific goals, and then they're actually bringing their employees and their communities to actually work on those issues. Gender inequality, clean water, as you said, mm -hmm. you know, eliminating food insecurity. Um, and so it actually builds brands for these companies as well, and then they're bringing that to the consumers. Um, and the thing that's so interesting about this is that we're developing ways to measure, getting to my third M, to measure the change you're trying to drive. Like, it's not just about throwing some goals out there and everybody showing up on volunteer day. It's about really right. being committed to driving the change, identifying the people at risk, identifying the um, actions that we can take to address them, and then measuring the outcomes that we're getting. So with the force of, of so many countries and so many corporations and now so many individuals, coming together at this, there's actually really enormous amount of cause for optimism. So the, the measurement piece is important. It is. And when I think of with Fidelity Charitable, for instance, I mean, there are 144,000 some odd organizations that your donors donate to in their giving accounts. Mm -hmm. and, and you at Fidelity Charitable, I mean, one of your jobs is that you vet these organizations. So, so how do you measure them? So there's been an absolute explosion of, and that's another sign of the civic age, an absolute explosion of nonprofits in this country. There are now 1.8 million nonprofits. So we have about 250,000 over the 27 years of Fidelity Charitable's history where donors have been focusing their efforts. Um, but what we do is a couple things. One is we confirm the legitimate IRS-approved nonprofits, and that's a, a major kind of value proposition for people because there's so much confusion and, and occasionally fraud no, exactly. in the nonprofit sector. Yes. We do vetting by confirming that they've, you know, they're IRS approved. And then we're doing uh, work to confirm that they're legitimate, they have management, they have infrastructure, um, all to let, you know, the donors know that this is a reputable organization that may help you drive mm -hmm. impact in the changes you care about. So there are definite ways to measure. Then yes. that's, that's the important thing. Well, there's... <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to measure. There's no standard way to do that. And so right. the United Nations, with these SDGs, is trying to work across the world to come up with a structure that allow us to have a common way to measure mm -hmm. outcome. It's a, it's a huge goal. Right. And, you know, Toby, I'm, I'm thinking on the corporate level. You know, it's, it's one thing to say that, that CEOs want to retain and attract millennials. Mm -hmm. But the money, essentially, is with older folks, mm -hmm. you know, the 50-plus. And... Uh, they still, they, you know, they still have the, the 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 money and the resources and the influence. So, you know, CEOs, most of whom are um, probably still baby boomers or mm -hmm. the or Gen Xers, uh, they have a they have old-fashioned mandates, and the mandate is to basically your most important stakeholder is the shareholder, mm -hmm. and now they have all of these other stakeholders and these other pressures that are coming on them to act in a different way than they have traditionally. Mm -hmm. Where are we in, in the, the progress mm -hmm. to them uh, to them getting to this place where they 
are really you know socially responsible corporations? Sure. Well, uh, I think we're at an inflection point. I don't know anyone in financial services that isn't talking to some degree about the huge wealth transfer that's about to happen. And so it could be the boomers who are running the companies now, but they see it coming mm -hmm. and they're getting ahead of it. Hence the Larry Fink letter last year to his stakeholders. Right, from BlackRock. Which right. I describe in the caring economy as the shot heard around the world. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. that says, wow, wake up folks. When the big guys, and it's still mostly guys, um, glad to see some of the gals in there. Mm -hmm. um, when the big guys are saying, we need to pay attention to this, to purpose. this is no right. longer a fringe kind of crunchy granola kind of thing. This is real. It's here and it's exciting. So I think um, that's notable. I would also say with regard to the, S the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, um, what that allows both government, non-government organizations to uh, do is have a lingua franca to engage around these major issues mm -hmm. facing the planet. So already you're bringing efficiency to the, the solutions because you're opening it up to one commonly understood set of issues and also to those who are engaging with them. I write about SAP Ariba, a subsidiary of SAP. They are the largest procurement platform mm -hmm. in the world. Hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of transactions happening. But they are also monitoring their supply chains to see if their wages are being paid, if sex trafficking is, is involved in any of these um, businesses, mm -hmm. they are then pivoting to their customers and saying, if you want, we can also share, use our knowledge of auditing our supply chains for you on behalf of your company. And you, you attended Davos, and you said yep. that there's a tremendous amount of conversation around corporate social responsibility as well. Yep. And how you know the you know various CEOs and these business thought leaders and everything else can come together and actually work together. Yep. And so, so you had um, one example of mm -hmm. uh, of recycling, right? Yep. You called it the loop. loop. Yes. And Loop is founded by a company, a private company called TerraCycle, a, a recycling firm. Mm -hmm. And there are two things I like about it. One is it's taking recycling, the old milkman model, where the milkman brings the bottle, you take it, and he, they clean it up and bring it back. Right. They realized that product companies like P&G, Unilever, Coke, PepsiCo, all of whom are members of this Loop program, uh, the customer doesn't want the packaging. They want what's in it. So if they can borrow from sort of an Airbnb model and make sure that the consumers no longer have to be concerned about recycling, just signing up and having the bottles, packaging taken away from pens, razors, mm. toothpaste, makeup, all of this, that's what's going to happen. So mm. they're launching now in April in New York and outside of Paris, and then they're going to roll it out in the coming um, in the coming years globally. We talked about the generational changes that, that the millennials are, are driving a lot of these changes in philanthropy, but there's also a gender breakdown and that women tend to be uh, more involved in kind of investing where their values are as well. That's so right. talk about that. Yeah, so women are now 50% of the breadwinners here in the United States. And by 2030, they'll have two-thirds percent of the wealth. And they're very philanthropic. They're very focused on changing their community and they are making sure that their vest investing aligns with their values as well. And so impact investing is, a, is driving and there's increasing trends still. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's still some people sitting on the sidelines on this one, but it's, uh, women are very interested in making sure that when they're investing with their dollars, they want to ensure that these are with organizations and companies that are aligned with their purposes. You advise companies um, 
all over the world mm -hmm. and major companies and smaller ones, whatever, on, on being more socially responsible, which mm -hmm. is what, what the caring economy is all about. Mm -hmm. And so who, who are, who's the role model? I mean, who, who's doing it right, mm -hmm. number one? And then I'll ask you, you know, who do you think uh, is, is falling down on the job? Sure. Well, uh, I try to approach my clients or my wish list clients uh, on a spectrum, really. I think that there are those who are making a commitment to improving where they are in terms of responsible business practices. And no matter where they are in that spectrum, if they're moving in the right direction, they're declaring to their constituents that this is where we want to go, then I'm there to help. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of work in China right now because it's a fast-growing, wild, wild west of an economy, but I happen to believe in the people that I'm meeting there, the young people in particular. Um, one example that you'll all know, or your viewers will know, Consuelo, is Tencent. Mm -hmm. It's a huge $600 billion Chinese gaming company, which is behind WeChat, which is a online communications um, uh, app. Basically, it's 1.1 billion Chinese people interacting on a daily basis with this app. So is Tencent committed to being socially responsible? Yes. Uh, the one example I was going to give you is they have something they started about two years ago called 9-9 Charity Day, September 9th, an auspicious date. And they use their platform to let Chinese or anyone who's a, a subscriber to WeChat to make micro donations of money. They can donate products. They can donate what are called moments. But the sophistication of WeChat is, a, is unlike anything in the West. Mm -hmm. We have different apps for different things. But with WeChat, I believe Tencent really is moving the meter on that sort of civic engagement you've described, Pam, um, empowering the Chinese consumers to donate time, moments, or uh, products to disaster relief or to their favorite charities. And actually, you mentioned to me um, offline in another conversation that you felt that Facebook was not doing a good job of being Correct. A socially responsible. Correct. The tech companies, but Facebook in particular, are not really stepping up mm -hmm. in the way that the consumer deserves, I think. So they're, they're, are they staying more neutral? They're not getting involved in issues that the consumer cares about? Uh, well, they're not staying or, neutral, but what I would say is it's not for Facebook to play God. Uh -huh. <laughs> a well-edited newspaper such as the New York Times where I used to work or uh, the Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. you have editors and you have a responsibility to your readers to report the facts, not sell advertising against whatever's on your site and then decide what will be filtered out and letting algorithms decide things. So I think... In my view, Facebook's gotten a little too large, mm -hmm. and now the consumers are waking up and they're saying, I don't know if I really trust Facebook. So funny enough, the trust gap is another thing that I was seeing discussed at Davos um, in, uh, in one of the panels. We need to use technology in a responsible way, and if technology firms can't do it themselves, then I think we do need government to step up and help um, intervene in some way. The leaders of those organizations are incredibly philanthropic. They've signed the Giving Pledge. Right. They've set up organizations to try to advocate for change yep. in education and major diseases around the world. So, again, it's being careful and being mindful that they've got to bring that to their business platform as well. Agreed. I also think, though, and I write a little bit about open source in my book, I think yeah. solutions for the challenges facing the world and also the opportunities that come with it, I think the open source way is... It's consistent with my values, and I think with the the gem, generation that's coming up, 
into leadership roles. They want to collaborate on these solutions and make sure that nobody's le being left behind. So one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, which we ask every guest on Wealth Tracks, what would you recommend we all do? So I think it's really important that you continue to take philanthropy into consideration in your overall financial planning. You know, because people are giving, Americans gave away $410 billion in 2017. Wow. And uh, that's just what they declared. I think it's reported that's another 545, or not another, but 545 billion uh -huh. that were given away through on, you know, kind of GoFundMe and other online platforms. And so you're giving away your money. You need to take that into consideration when you're designing your financial plan. Toby. And I, I have written in The Caring Economy about creating one's own sounding board. I would challenge a CEO or a philanthropist to create his or her own sounding board of millennials. Just pull together five or ten kids and ask them to give you unvarnished input on the questions that are keeping you up at night. And you'll be amazed at what they not only share, but they can continue to share if you want to keep them as your sounding board. So Toby Usnick and Pam Norley, thank you so much for coming together <laughs> and caring you, enough pleasure, caring pleasure. in your thank respective you. jobs and yeah. also caring enough to come on Wealth Track. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider using a donor-advised fund for your charitable giving. DAFs allow you to take an immediate tax deduction, but take your time in identifying where the money goes and when it is given. They simplify the record-keeping process. They make it easier to give in smaller and frequent amounts. DAFs vet the organizations you are donating to. They appraise and liquidate hard-to-give assets like real estate or even cryptocurrencies. If you are interested in simplifying, consolidating, and vetting your charitable giving, an established donor-advised fund is worth a look. In the meantime, in this week's exclusive extra feature on our website, Pamela Norley will discuss the popularity of donor-advised funds and Toby Usnick, his motivation for writing his book, The Caring Economy. Next week, we discuss why five-star bond fund manager Mara Ellen Stanek is proud to describe her Baird Corp Plus bond fund as sleep insurance. We invite you to visit WealthTrack.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend, and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.